Hello again and welcome to a new episode of Voices from SA. My name is Nicholas Claude. Thank you for joining me wherever you are. My guest this week is Toby Shabshak. He's the publisher and editor-in-chief of the South African edition of Stuff magazine. He's also a journalist in his own right, a well-known commentator on all things digital and IT-related, and uh, he's a tech geek, admitted tech geek. We got into quite a lengthy discussion about internet privacy and uh, surveillance capitalism, how to survive in this age of online surveillance and uh, data capture. And he had some great tips on how you can protect your privacy online. We also chatted about the latest gadgets and technological developments, particularly around 5G, uh, that came out of the Mobile World Congress that was held in Barcelona recently. Um, so, yeah, an all-round uh, interesting chat, and I hope you enjoy my time with Toby now. Toby, thanks, eh? I appreciate it, man. It's been a while, actually. I was it, thinking it when indeed. we... Was it probably Africa Com a couple of years back? I think you got married and had a child in, the, in between <laughs> and became a vegan. <laughs> no, no. Uh, 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 my wife is the vegan. I'm an unrepentant carnivore still. Oh, good. <laughs> I just wondered <laughs> where you get that. Be careful what horrible things you say to your interview <laughs> guests. <laughs> I made an, a, an assumption there. Um, no, but you're looking good. I was just that, no, that's why I said vegan, because you're looking sort of very fit and healthy, and apparently that's well, one a, of the great side effects of I'm giving up meat. I'm a non-practicing health fanatic most of the time, but I've become increasingly elapsed non-practicing yes, health I'm fanatic. To, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the same. I tell you what, walking every couple of days, that's about the limit of my exercise. I was thinking back to when we first met. It was in 2010, and you picked up Greg Moran, a mutual friend of ours, and we were going to see the launch, or we were going to ride on the Chao train. Yes. The, 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 the great, the, the, the heralded, heralding yes. of a new future, the dawning of a new era for South Africa. And I think you had to feed your cats, and then we got lost, and we, yeah, we, we got, didn't get on the Chao train. Got, we got lost, and we didn't get there. But it wasn't actually a Chao train station in, in, in my and our defense, because it was no, it, it was, was one of the It was the of depot or something. Some yeah, we got completely confused. place, and yeah, they yeah. gave us the wrong directions. But I yeah. suppose it's an interesting point to start, because in its, in its way, the Chao train is a very unsexy piece of technology, isn't it? But it's a very useful one. It's a different question whether it's economically viable or not. I mean, from its very onset, I could see the structure was mm. bad. It was, yeah. it was structured in a way that if the uh, the people operating it didn't make money, the government would pay them. Yes. And that's a fundamentally bad way to structure any big project, be it infrastructure, be it technology. So Although not unusual for many public transport systems around the world, I would sh uh, sure, I think. But, but I, anyway, in this context, I always thought it was a bad thing. It, it, it keeps people from pursuing the, you know, the capitalism has this mantra that the market will sort things out. Well, mm. it, it turns out it's, it's a bit like communism. Not everybody's equal. Some people are more equal than others. Some people who mm. negotiate better contracts uh, have better financial viability. But mm. it, it, I suppose in a way it just demonstrates how something efficient and useful can be efficient and useful. I yeah. use the car train a lot. Mm. I, I travel a lot. I go to yeah. the airport a lot. I, I've used it to go to Pretoria. Yes, uh, likewise, I know people yeah. who, who commute using it. And, yeah, and, and the buses and everything. And very successfully. So yeah. it is a system that can really yeah. work. The economics of it are a, are a different question, as I, as I think. But, but it just shows you that, that 
you know, if you have a vision and a, and a vision of how to implement something meaningful and useful for mm. society, it can it can have a real impact. So uh, that has a has a real consequence in, in in technology terms, right? Because if you if you look at say technology rollouts in terms of internet internet infrastructure, you know, we we have situation where that's the kind of thing you would expect to be led by government because it, it, it has so many economic benefits for the country and sure. yet it's it's for the most part being led by the Privatized. private sector mm. the, the the cell phone networks for the longest time have been the largest provider of of, of broadband be mm. it wireless or wide because yeah. they now all sell fiber and other services themselves mm. um, and you also have companies private companies like vumatel vumatel kind of kick-started the, the, whole fiber the fiber to the home, fiber yeah. to the home market because of this, you know, uh, one guy in, in Parkhurst who was an economist, um, uh, and he really looked at. He, he kind of did. It was very funny. I was living in Parkhurst at the time, so first I wrote about it, and then they co-opted me onto the onto the committee to choose um, the people involved in it. And and what was quite interesting about all of that was that it was basically a way of getting a private company to give you what the government should have been doing. The mm. government telecom as the service provider should yeah. have been laying the structure. And they had, but of course it well, was it was just you too just expensive. Feel they've so kind of missed a beat on so many levels, telecom when it came to mo 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 early mobile uh, the, the the sort of GSM uh, networks into 3G, they just always seem to have been a step behind. And, and when it came to fiber, same thing. There just seems to have been a... Or, I mean yes and no. I mean, they, they did own half of, of Vodacom. Which so, they so sold. Yeah, which they, which they sold. So that kind of de depleted their mobile strategy. And they've built quite a, a good network since that. It's interesting because they, as the underdog in the mobile space, have been the most innovative, arguably, huh. in terms of their cell phone contracts. They offer okay. unlimited data contracts or, or certain packages. So they've been able to be the disruptor because they're the smaller player and they're by far the smallest of the four right, operators. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so Ryan Hawthorne, this economist who lived in Parkhurst, had this idea. And before we knew it, a private company like Vumatel was, was the lead developer in so many ways. And, and that's that's a good story. That really is. They Jeez, bought well, up some you. of the other service providers, Fiberhoods. They've now got this camera network, uh, Vumacam, they call it. Mm. Um, I suspect that's going to be a lot more controversial than they thought well, it would be. Yeah, because we'll come on to that. Yeah. You're monitoring other people's access. Do, yeah. they have, do they have do the rights to that? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. That, so that's going to be a, a controversial we'll, thing we'll, for we'll them. Come but on to that for sure, but yeah. the, 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 the fundamental issue is. Just look at what fiber has done. And now, my personal experience of fiber, I mean, they, they put the Vumatel box on, on my wife's house uh, the week we moved out of Parkhurst. I was, I was in tears. And I moved into a neighborhood where Fiberhoods was doing this aerial fiber. So I, I, I very luckily got into that system within a couple of months. And I've been using that for the last four years or so. And I have 100 megs up and down. And yeah. initially it was an uncapped, but then mm. I started using Netflix, yeah. 4K Netflix. You're amazed at how you can eat through your data. Sure. And sure. for the first time in 10 years, I actually ran out of data in December. It was, it was a novel hmm. experience. That's interesting, yeah. But I think of myself here on the southern tip of Africa as, as, one of, yeah. as part of the Internet 1%. I have, sure. I have been overseas on multiple times to 
pretty sophisticated European capitals, Paris, Berlin, uh, the States, and I very often have better internet service at home than I do in, in these supposed developed world economies. And that's quite remarkable. Mm. It truly is, because yeah. that is the amazing power of, of, of a good internet connection, because it gives you all of the things that you would expect from the internet, your... your that your, access, that the connectivity, the speed of it. The speed. The, you know, I, 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 I delight in in putting people on my network at home and and watching them update the apps. That little donut, it takes a second or two. Yep. Whoop, whoop, yep. Whoop. Yep. And people are astounded by that. But that's that's what the local internet experience should be. And of course, that's what I'm interested in in terms of Africa. Most people's experience of the internet is is vastly different. It's slow, it's mm. expensive, it's wireless, it's mm. through cellular. Mm. And you see what a hindrance to economic development or just watching a video or downloading an app or downloading your email. You see the, the slowness of that and what that does mm. for people's experience of the internet. You know, that's it's terrible. So I often get asked, why don't we have a Silicon Valley-like place in South Africa and I, I we do there are a couple of pockets of excellence innovation centers et yeah there are a few tech hubs that are doing great stuff mm. but the I suppose the more pressing concern is if you look at the youth of South Africa their predominant experience of of connectivity of airtime is worrying how not to eat through it's their too cap. much so that's the wrong consciousness, right? That's mm. a scarcity consciousness. Well, it seems to be in the headlines every week. Data, data, data costs, data costs, data and the, costs. And, and, how, and we, are, we do have expensive da oh, data. We do. I mean, we do. Not, I mean the you research. do any comparison yeah. to anywhere on earth, and you'll find that South Africans um, are, are among the, the, the top payers, or, or I don't know how yeah, phrase in, in terms of Africa, we are, we are some of the most expensive. There was some research last year that found we were paying $5 something for a gigabyte of traffic, whereas, say, Tanzania, you were paying 89 US cents. I mean, that's yeah. significant. That's, dramatic. that's That's, you know, that is very high. And, and, and that's the problem. So instead of our kids thinking, hmm, I wonder how I can share a video on the internet, which is mm. how YouTube came about, or Gee, I'd like to share these pictures. Um, I just hope on friends come around so they can show them when they're at home, kind of thing. Yeah, so so you know things like Twitterpick, which was eventually bought by Twitter or Instagram. Those are those are examples of people going. I wonder how I can do this, mm. as opposed to many of our youth are going. I hope I don't burn through my cap, mm. um, and that's the problem because, of course, the internet is entirely mobile in Africa. It's not a mobile-first continent. It's mobile only. And the real issue is everything's moving to video. Video is becoming by far the dominant source of internet traffic and has been on, 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 on the wired internet and now on the wireless internet. So, so it is. And it's a hindrance. And our, our youngsters, instead of thinking of the next big thing, are thinking of not burning through their, their bandwidth. And I think, uh, I suppose then the implications are when it comes to this whole sort of bridging the digital divide or what sort of, um, what sort of impact uh, this kind of internet technology, this, this mobility, this data is going to have on things like health or education. If the kids can't or the parents can't afford to go online to the doctor or the kids can't afford to go online to the school resource yeah, exactly. site, then... You, you do not have the benefit that you are 
anticipating. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, it's the digital divide. Look, let's 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 say we've crossed a part of that in terms of voice devices. We we have lots of. 2G and, and very basic 3G phones. penetration in South yeah, Africa, so across it, Africa. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone has a phone, but it's a very other. basic feature phone. It's yeah. not a smartphone. So, so to some extent, that's been changed. And I had a very inter interesting interview with the Director General of the GSM Association, the GSMA. They, they're the umbrella body right. with... They're the umbrella body for the cell phone industry. Uh, and his name's Matt. And for all the um, yes, yeah. I was speaking to Matt Grinrad, and they he was saying one of the biggest problems now is digital inclusion, and and that's all about digital skills. You know, the 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 the, the fact that it's 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 not just getting people online. Now you have to get them online in terms of of mobile devices, and and the the next pressing problem after that is so you get people devices then it's too expensive for most of them to use it. You know, probably half of the smartphones in South Africa are not being used with wireless data. People use them at the office mm. or public hotspots. They, yeah. they simply can't afford the airtime. So it's a, it's a triple bogey, well, right? Plus those phones are pretty damn expensive as well. Sure. I mean, but, you know, some you can get a 100 or $200 smartphone. It's probably still expensive for most mm. people. Yeah. People yeah. in Africa living on a, you know, $5 a day if perhaps less or earning a hundred dollars a month that's a very expensive device for most sure. people so so it's that and then it's the digital skills you know the the, well, the i was just literacy at, yeah uh, here's an interesting statistic that and it also just sort of dawned on me no it's a it's here's a statistic that'll blow your mind and it was told to me by the deputy ceo of huawei it uh, at this big mobile world congress they call it mwc barcelona at the end of February. Yeah, I want to talk and, to you a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and, and uh, so his name is Kevin Hu, and he was saying in the EU, which is the most valuable, expensive, richest trading block in the world, in the EU, 20% of people don't have digital skills, and half of the people have very basic digital skills. In the EU... And how do you define digital skills? Just how to use Ability the smartphone, to use a phone how to use a phone, how to search the internet, how to download apps, how to have, how to do the things that most of us take for granted. So, again, if you have an iPhone or if you have a, a, a high-end Samsung or Huawei or LG or Xiaomi or, or any of those Android phones, you are in the 1% sure, yeah, sure. or the 3% yeah, because yeah, no, we considering can afford that. a phone. Yeah, we yeah. can afford data to download apps. You know, so many people never download more than a few basic apps, probably Facebook, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram. maybe Instagram, mm -hmm. a few other odds and ends. Most people simply cannot afford to download apps. And I, and, I, and I see this firsthand. People come to me and they show me their phone and what they've got. And basically what they've got is whatever came whatever with the came phone. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an interesting phrase called bloatware. Huh. And bloatware, a lot of the operators put their own phone, their own apps on it. Yes. And so do the manufacturers. Yeah, all and all those a lot of nonsense things, yeah. A lot of people, that's all they have. And they have these, you know, or YouTube. YouTube comes with Android. Mm. So so that's helpful because a lot of people consume um, YouTube videos. But then again, they don't do it. They don't necessarily do it on, on, a on, on, on cellular. They do it yeah. on, if they can latch on to some sort of free Wi-Fi. You know, and I, I mean, I remember 
I'm very pedantic. When plumbers come to my house and, and electricians and any kind of uh, tradesman doing any work, I have a guest network and I put them on the network and I say, let me show you how to update your software. Let me show you how to download more apps. And somebody commented on it once and said, like, I don't understand. And I went, you don't understand because they were a friend visiting my house. And I said, you, you, this is more valuable than any other service I could offer people, you know, because mm. people can't afford. I mean, a download, I did a, I did a, a software download on a, on, a, on a phone for someone this morning, actually, came to came to look at something and it was I think about six or seven hundred megs of data I mean if you had to oh, pay for just that it's just insane so it's it's just basic software and most people don't know to update the apps they don't know to update the operating system mm -hmm. and of course that has roll-on effects for sure. safety and security and, yeah. and people the use functionality of the device functionality of the device and that's that's simply the basics and of mm -hmm. course that's a digital skill. That's yeah. just knowing that if you update your software, your phone is more secure and it mm -hmm. can't be compromised and yeah. your data can't be compromised. You know, knowing how to set the settings on your phone so that all the apps that you use, Android yeah. is particularly bad at this. You know, if you want to use an app, you have to give it incredible access to your contacts, your whereabouts, Jeez, when you yeah. move. Oh I mean, that's really diabolical. So, yeah. so people are paying, as they do with Facebook, with their personal data and they, yes. and they completely unaware of that they have yeah. no idea I mean, in fact the New York Times did some very interesting uh, research last year and broke some big stories around this which is if you give anonymous data to the apps you can still work it out because there's only one person who regularly travels from this house to that building. Yes. And they got hold of they got hold of the data and then they got hold of the people and asked them if they could publish it. And there was there was pretty compromising stuff. Someone visited a, an abortion clinic, someone else did this, they did mm. that. You can totally work out who that person is with anonymized data. I immediately turned all of that off because I thought I was doing the right well, thing. God, I need to speak to you once this interview is done. Because so I so need here, to get my you, here a few rules of thumb for, for, for security and personal data hygiene. Firstly, never have the same password for any service. And, and that's quite easy to achieve these days. Download any password manager. LastPass is, is a very good one. There's one password. There's Dashlane. Um, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, the keychain is very good. But if you use multiple browsers like Safari and Chrome or you have an Apple phone and a Windows computer, use a password manager. And these password managers are very good. It'll take you some time to set it up, but it's worth it. Okay. You go to each individual site, you change the password, and LastPass will give you a 20-character or a 30-character, as much as you want. Character, some, some will own single entry password. Single entry password, and it's gobbledygook. It's hash this numbers underscore it's totally randomly generated and the password manager saves it for you and all you have to do is remember one password now right. it's totally okay to write that password down make sure it's a complicated password it's not the name of your kid or your dog it's for this reason that my next pet is going to be a scotty called password <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm just waiting for my son to be old enough to appreciate having a puppy and then we're going to get it. Off you go. Um, so save save all of your, your passwords and it's worth the hours that you'll spend updating that. And then turn on what's called two-factor authentication. There are two ways to do it. You can get an SMS to your phone or you can use something like Google Authenticator and you can use that to 
give you the second factor. The first factor is your is your password. The second factor is this randomly generated right. code or one-time PIN, as an SMS mm. is called. Those are the things you should be doing for yeah. everything. The next thing is always update your software, whatever you use. If it's a Mac or it's Windows or it's Android, always update your software and always update your apps. Because when vulnerabilities are discovered, the hackers and the crackers and, and, and so you know yeah. all the bad actors, quote unquote, those Dark are what web. yeah, those are what people use. Mm. The next thing is be very strict about what information you send. People often say, "Send me a copy of your ID book or your password." Absolutely not. Ever, never, ever, ever email that kind of stuff. Email is the least secure way to transmit any kind of data. Do not keep a copy on your password. Uh, uh, sorry, do not keep a copy on your computer. Shit. Don't email people. This is the kind of strictness. You need to Crikey. You need to understand that those are the details people sell online. If they have your passport number, your date of birth, your this and that, they can, they can create they can, your identity. Create you. And identity mm. theft is not such a big thing in South Africa, but it's huge in the States. Mm. It's a massive mm. industry. You don't, you don't want to fall prey to that because if that happens, it's not the bank's fault. It's your fault, and you've got to deal with it. I know people in the States who've had to pay off tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt created in their wow. name that was not they, – they were, they were not responsible for it. So those are the kinds of mm. things that you need to what do. What about like security software like Kaspersky? Absolutely. Or, I run yeah. Kaspersky yeah. Internet Security. Yeah. So it's not I just antivirus. It's yeah. a whole bunch of things. Yeah. I run it on all my computers. Mm. If you access public Wi-Fi, free public Wi-Fi, you must use a VPN. Okay, you, have you have to use a VPN. A VPN well. And a VPN just masks your traffic. Because when you're using public Wi-Fi – Someone can, it's called sniffing, they can listen, they can sniff your traffic, they can see what you're sending, they can pick up your passwords. When you use websites, make sure that the websites are secure. It must say HTTPS, yes, yeah. and it must be a little lock icon, depending on what browser you use. And that's the kind of thing you need to do. And people sure. say to me, that's so paranoid. And I go, yeah. well, let's look at a house analogy. It's a very useful thing in South Africa because, you know, the, the sound of a car alarm or a house alarm is in many ways our, our national anthem, isn't it? Mm. The sound of a police siren coming to Help sort out. those out. So, so you buy a house. Well, maybe not a police siren. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> you buy a house and basically you, if you don't build a wall and put an electric fence or some barbed wire or some razor wire, South Africa's other great gift to the world, razor wire, um, uh, and you don't lock your windows or put on burglar bars. That's what digital security is like. So people say, oh, it's so, it's so complicated. I only want to remember one password. Well, you can. Yeah, that's fine. You yeah. remember the password manager password, and you remember a you let the password manager remember the rest for you. Right. So that's that's where I say people should go. Mm. But, you know, if you buy a house and you don't lock your doors at night or put up beams or security or you don't do that kind of stuff, well, that's just foolish. Mm. So people understand that. It's like driving your car to, you know, the middle of a, of a crime zone and leaving the doors unlocked. That's mm. what it's like. So understand it in terms of that kind of physical security. And then people are much more willing to understand what digital security is about and mm. and you need to be paranoid and pedantic and and when this cambridge analytica thing happened a, a year ago 
this week, actually. Yes, I've just been reading some of the, 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 the sort of follow-up. Yeah. Suddenly oh, lack of follow-up. Yeah, suddenly everyone stopped thinking I was quite so crazy because yeah. it's your personal data that you need to be very... The British Parliament refer referred to Facebook as digital gangsters. Exactly. In this context of data, sh data mining, data... And they've been unrepentant, Facebook. So, okay. so, so now Facebook wants to change to encrypted private messaging, which basically looks like WeChat, and WeChat's a very good system. WeChat's hugely successful with over a billion users in China. You can do everything in WeChat. You can pay for uh, a cab, order a cab, book dinner, pay for dinner, send yeah, money to friends. That. It's a most remarkable app, but you need to bear in mind that it has grown into what it is because there is no other competition in China. There is mm -hmm. no Gmail. There is no Google. There is no uh, Twitter. There's no, f you know, all of these mm -hmm. services are not available. That's why WeChat has become the everything app. But it's probably also highly monitored then if we're talking China, isn't it? I mean, they've got a so whole they sort say, of weird although, attitude yeah, towards yeah, like this whole uh, digital passport so, kind of thing. So let's talk, about, let's talk about the surveillance economy, right? Because China's quite upfront about it. China's saying... You will give the government your biometric data, your fingerprints, your face, and we will use it, and we'll use it to make the country a better place, but mm. we're also going to monitor you. And that's the and, price you pay. And that's the price you pay. In, in the West, we have surveillance capitalism, where you give all this data to Facebook or Google or Amazon and, and, and Microsoft and Apple, the, the, the so-called fangs, uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Google, and, and and you see how this is quite interesting. So I think of it as a kind of modern-day slavery, right? What was slavery? You, you, your body was owned by someone else, and the, the, the fruits of your labor made someone else rich. Think about that in terms of our digital data, our personal data, the fact that yeah. Facebook's customer is not us. Nick, you are not Facebook's customer. An advertiser is Facebook's yes. customer. And Facebook collects as much All data as it possibly can about its users. And it turns out people who aren't its users. If you just go to Facebook and you aren't actually a Facebook user, that they will continue to thing. track you without your permission. Yeah. So that's another piece of digital hygiene. I have a, 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 an extension called Ghostery, Ghost E-R-Y. And it makes sure that trick cookies and trackers and all of that stuff. And, and, and at least once a month, I go into my browser and I delete all the cookies and make sure that it can't track me. And I, I'm fascinated. You know, I was in, in, in Spain for Barcelona, MWC Barcelona, and I was reading South African websites and European websites. And, of course, because of GDPR, which is the European Union's privacy it, settings. It's recently introduced... Uh, amazing stuff. They, you have to specify everything. And I was reading a South African news site and it said, do you want to see all the services that track you? And I started reading it and I started making screen. I took 15 screen grabs, perhaps more, I didn't count after 15, of all the different services that wanted to track me just to read a news article. It's mind-blowing. Like, for example... I, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll dig them out and show you, but it's... it's. But it is people like Facebook, like... Yeah, yeah. and you've never heard of most oh, of okay. these services. And, right. and that's... And they, more and sort of Cambridge Analytica kind yeah, of things, data are all capture, of the, yeah, so, so data mining. Just Google data privacy trackers. I mean, they're, they're, the, the amount of companies that trade in our personal data mm. without our knowledge and without our permission 
is truly mind-boggling. I mean, how's this? This, is, this came out in the last few weeks about Facebook. So you give Facebook your cell phone number for two-factor authentication. So when you log on, Facebook sends you an SMS to say, is it you use this code? Right. Facebook took that data that was given to them for security purposes mm. and offered it to advertisers. So advertisers may have your email address or they may have your phone number. They may not have both. And Facebook just took that security data and started giving it to advertisers to look us yeah, up. Yeah. It's called a lookup. So you want to find out, you send Facebook a database of these numbers and say, can you target these people? Because we and have their cell phone numbers. SMSs and, and you get on my and phone from all people of a, I've never heard of before. All of a sudden, there you have it. So, so I have some even more paranoid friends. Uh, and and <laughs> business acquaintances. Is that possible? Who who have this theory? And of course, I don't. They're completely I'm, offline, are they? No. I, so so they are, and they use Signal, and they you know I'm trying to get off WhatsApp and to get everybody I know off WhatsApp because I uh -huh. I, I I just don't trust Facebook. Because I'm off Facebook and Twitter now. Sure. So so Twitter I, have, much, Twitter I, mean, I find very valuable. It's it's imagine. kind of it's the front page of news well, and I mean, people not, debate uh, on it. Yeah. You need to just remember that it's people who can afford to download the app, who can afford to use the data. Those are the kinds of people who are commenting on it. And Twitter, like most social media functions, an outrage. So what you're always reading is angry people, angry reconcept. That's and also, why I got out of it, yeah. Also, people's responses tend to be very, um, they don't think about it. No one, you know, no one writes the angry tweet and then reads it in the morning before sending it like the angry email, as we're told mm. to do. Mm. So, so Facebook, I deleted off my phone about a year and a half ago yeah. after my son was born and I obviously had not enough time to look at apps and from very useful notifications about so-and-so is doing this and this person was there, I just got bland, generic, you haven't opened the app or you have to do this. And what I realized was that the app's intention was to get me back into the app. Mm. It didn't care what I was showing. Yeah. So I realized... And I call it biting the eyes that feed you. It, 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 didn't, it didn't do anything value for me. It did something valuable for the app because the longer in your app, inside the app, the more it more can show you advertising. It's the advertising they want to show plus gather data. So, and then one day I wanted to update the app and I discovered it was 350 megs. And even though I, I can afford it and I have the data, I thought that's just crazy. So I deleted that and I deleted Messenger. And you know what happened, Nick? My life went on. Hmm. I didn't miss anything. Funnily enough. Huh? I didn't, I have not. And I am, I mean, I can count the times I go into Facebook and an app I used to download when I was traveling because it was useful for uploading pictures. I stopped doing that. Hmm. And then a year passed and I was amazed. My wife deleted it as well for her own reason. She thought it was a time waste. Yeah. Um, and suddenly my life continues completely without Facebook. And wow. And then, of course, all of the stuff started coming out about just how diabolical mm. Facebook was with how it tracks you and what it does and where it does. I mean, this is, Google's just as bad, let me tell you. There were versions of Android mm. that tracked you even after you told it not to track you and even after you did a factory reset of the Android phone. So that stuff's kind of changed, you know. Mm. But Facebook, Facebook got amazing permissions when Android was a lot more lax with its security and it gave amazing permissions to other companies. I mean, it, mm. it emerged that Facebook last year, it emerged that Facebook was giving people permission to read your private messages, messages without Get your out. permission. A whole bunch I of technology, for a lot of them said they hadn't even asked for it and they were given permission. 
Uh, you know, this is this is the same company that says it wants to pivot to privacy and will be an end-to-end encryption service for Messenger, WhatsApp, and and Instagram direct messages. Now, those are each services with a billion users. They may some of them may be the same users. Already, the antitrust watchdogs in the states and uh, sorry in Europe are saying, "Hang on a second, this breaks the terms and conditions that we allowed you to, to buy WhatsApp, on, yeah. WhatsApp and Instagram okay, in the first yeah, place." Yeah, so that's yeah. that's quite a big problem mm, mm. in terms of it. And also, I mean, as soon as these new things were announced, two of the most senior people at Facebook left. Chris Cox, who'd been there for 13 years, he was the head of product for. Newsfeed. He developed Newsfeed into arguably the greatest advertising platform the world's ever seen. In 2.2, 2.3 billion people using Facebook and the Newsfeed was their thing. He left and there was a little message where he said, you know, people who really got to believe in it should be driving this. And then the head of, of, of WhatsApp left as well. Mm-hmm. Now, this was just last week. Right. But yes, last that. year... The, the remaining founder of, of WhatsApp, there were two of them, also left and immediately tweeted, hash delete Facebook. The heads of Instagram both left last year. So they've, they've already they've left saying that these are not, this, we can't work the on direction this. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. uh, Brian Acton, who was well, the remaining WhatsApp founder, left $850 million in unvested shares. I mean, he did make several billions, so it's not so bad. <laughs> Don't feel bad for him. Um, you know, he's, <laughs> but, but, you know, that's the sign of just how bad things are. So that's surveillance capitalism for you. And, and the terrifying, horrific thing about all of this is we gave the data away willingly. We thought it was for our benefit. It turns out... Personalization. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't. It was for the benefit of the advertisers. So, you know, I've, 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 someone told me... Uh, I'm Facebook's biggest critic in Africa, which really made me laugh, um, <laughs> because everybody should be afraid of it. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. Facebook is facing an existential crisis from the youth of the world. There are several big studies, including the Pew Internet study published last year, that show, and this is in rich countries, not in, in developing countries, in rich countries, the youth, the 15 to 25 demographic are not using Facebook. They, you know, when they get older, they're not going to be on Facebook. So Facebook has a built-in kind of age problem be on Instagram won't so, they? so so that's, that's owned so, by yeah so they're going into Instagram which is which Facebook bought to basically catch the people who that's, fell off so it's another data capture it's method. just it's just not as profitable mm. for Facebook so Facebook has an existential crisis from its own from its the youth of the world who are just not using it why they're not using it because who wants to hang out on the same platform your grandparents do mm. you know when I introduced my mother to Facebook and she's quite active she's <laughs> nearly 91 she I said to her do you want to see what your grandkids are up to and she went yes and off she went and she's taken to it mm. you know as, as she has to all the new technology that I've I've introduced her to she uses an iPad she does everything through an iPad now um, and she just loves it no kid wants to be there hanging out with grandma and grandpa, mm. Bobo or Zeta. They don't. They don't want to be there. So, so that's the that's the the real threat to Facebook's business model. But, but the threat to democracy is really quite scary. Mm. I mean, as as you mentioned, the UK Parliament called yeah, them. Well, I think they've digital gangsters accepted that there was. I mean, that's the real. For me, has been the clearest sort of proof that Facebook was used, and we don't know. Of course, the impact in the United States, because that seems to be still very 
Well, we do, we do know that it, manip it, the this, manipulation the, was huge of the, the 2016. But the British case for the Brexit seems yeah. to be quite clear. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that yeah. there was this, this manipulation of the public mood or the, the individual psyche that created a public mood, I suppose and, you could and put And here's like the that. thing. Let's go back to the fact that Facebook allowed those apps to harvest that kind of data. So Alexander Kogan, the, the, the academic behind it, he's busy suing Facebook for defamation because they said he lied. And he said, no, I didn't. I used what you said I could, and I told you what I was going to do. i got to say, I'm not sure which of the That'll two bad actors one wants <laughs> to believe. But, <laughs> but basically, from all my research, Facebook allowed this kind of behavior to happen. These were the terms and conditions that allowed. You could access, if someone signed up for a personality quiz app, it was 67,000 people mm. who did it, and they ended up re, re, uh, harvesting 87 million people's data. People signed up, but Facebook gave you the permission to read your friends' data. So how many of my friends signed up for that, and my data was harvested along with theirs, and I didn't even remotely give them permission or download the app? This is the kind of insane world we live in, Nick, where your personal data is being traded by somebody else. Mm. You're a modern-day slave. Someone's earning money off your personal information, and you don't even know about it, and you never gave permission. And your behavior is being manipulated at the same time. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's particularly evident on YouTube, and YouTube has come in for a lot of flack on this. I think YouTube's the cesspit of the universe, of the, definitely of the internet. And what why, YouTube, why do you say that? What YouTube does is its algorithm. YouTube, look what YouTube, I want to, I think what I'm yeah, but, to look but for. What YouTube does is keep calling you back into the system, keep calling you back into... Um, like Al Pacino and Godfather. Yeah, so it doesn't want you to leave, so it keeps showing you more and more videos. And the algorithm for that, the algorithm for that shows you more and more extreme and controversial things, whether you're an adult or a kid. And then it emerged that sexual predators, pedophiles, were making comments in the comment section, hugely suggestive, borderline pedophilic comments in the videos of innocent videos shot about kids, kids uploaded by their parents or doing yoga. Or, I mean, this is terrible stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what YouTube does, like everything else on the social media universe, is try and keep you engaged because the more you're there, the more advertising you'll be exposed to. Of course, how many people watch more than the five seconds at the beginning of the, mm. the, of the video? As soon as you, you can skip, get out, you skip. Get out that ad as quickly as possible. Exactly. So, so that's the kind of world we live in. How do you and counter that? Well, good parenting if you're a parent and, and good security. You know, all those things I said, please, please do them. I've noticed in the context of now the, this recent terrorist attack uh, in Christchurch is that sort of flip side of 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 these social media platforms is the lack it seems of control we're talking about sort of privacy for ourselves but the sort of ability then for people to broadcast and and the struggles that i mean i was reading i was listening to some some or reading somewhere you know the number of people that facebook and certain other media social media platforms have trying to um what is the word you know censor uh, content, but it's just it, it's it's just an well, impossible they, they would, task. They would, yeah, they would call it moderating. I mean, it moderating, is yeah. it it is a so there there are a couple of aspects to it. This Christchurch incident is is an extreme case of it, where 
this guy's live streaming. The footage was online, I think, for 17 minutes, yeah. and then it was spread widely. Facebook said it was uploaded 1.5 million times. They said 1.2 million of those were stopped before they could be uploaded. Um, uh, it, it's a problem. Hmm. It is a real problem. Um, because we hear and all about, you know, during those revolutions in, in, in North Africa, you know, the whatever the revolution, yeah, the, the like the power of social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm, 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 I'm yet to see the, the power of social media. Yeah, so, so in the Arab Spring, that was very powerful because it, it allowed people to see in real time what was happening on the ground. It turned everyone into citizen reporters. I mean, the... the, the there's value in that, but if you have an extreme example like this, mm. it's really terrible. And in a couple of of, of UK publications, including uh, the Mail Online, ran segments of that video alongside advertising. Right, so that's a that's another terrible situation. Real publications, you know, whatever you think about their ideological leanings, actually that carrying happening. the footage. Yeah. Of of of, of the attack. this attack alongside advertising, so they're making money off it. I mean, that's a that's a ethical conundrum. Um, hmm. So the, the the problem with Facebook's moderators is there's just no way to police 2.2 billion people. And yeah. and what often happens, as innumerable reports about it have come, uh, the New York Times, The Verge. Um, a bunch of publications have really done a lot of research. Reuters did a lot about Myanmar. Myanmar, according to the UN, has has Facebook is is implicated in human rights abuses for the spreading of hate speech, that that have amounted to tens of thousands of people losing their lives or being displaced or turned into refugees because the problem is Facebook's moderators speak English. They don't speak whatever local dialect. In, in, in Myanmar or in India that people use. So they don't understand the What's coded words. You know, in, in Rwanda, the word cockroach was used very often. Well, that's an English word. We know what it means. But if you don't know what the local word is in the language that people are using, that's that's kind of diabolical. Mm. So, so that's the problem. Facebook simply cannot moderate the extent of what it's got. And let's just not forget that when the first news of the Russian internet trolls manipulating the 2016 US election, Mark Zuckerberg's response was, that's a pretty crazy idea. This is the same man who is Jewish like me who said, defended Holocaust denialists, right? There are a few things in the world you can't deny, like the world isn't flat. Mm. The Holocaust definitely happened. Well, they had a campaign against George Soros, some sort uh, of anti-Semitic Anti-Semitic. Campaign. I mean, that's... And, the, and of course, first... I couldn't get my head around First, that, Sheryl Sandberg said she didn't know about it. Then the email surfaced that she did know about it. So Mark Zuckerberg said Holocaust denies, denialists weren't getting it intentionally wrong. You must be joking. And you're Jewish. So... You know, this is just insane. But he, and this he, is the person this is the person who has structured Facebook in such a way that he has voting stock and control of he everything. Owns the thing. He he cannot be uh, v- voted off. He continues to have control. And when people like Chris Cox and, and Chris Daniels, who was the head of, of WhatsApp, all leave and there's a, a kind of murmur of, of ideological differences. This is very worrying because that just means Mark Zuckerberg, who lives in an ivory tower, is in even more of an ivory tower. 
expensive. So I don't, I don't want to spend all of your podcasts no. uh, raining on 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 Facebook. I, I think it's like everything else in the world. You need to be conscious of the dangers and the threats and be uh, conscious of of what you share and what you don't share. So, for instance, I never put pictures of my son online. Mm. I don't think I don't for two reasons. One, because it's his life. And I don't want him to become an adult or a teenager or, or, or at some point become conscious and, and have this whole digital identity history, that he yeah, didn't, he didn't part of it. create himself. And mm. secondly, because, mm. you know, the Internet's a scary place and I don't want, I don't want I those, those quote-unquote bad actors, you know. It's, and, and, and I'm very private, actually, with, with my personal stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know... There are some remarkable things. We were talking about MWC earlier, and that's yeah, that's, like a, that's an interesting... I want to get on to a little bit about that, because you're a gadget kind of guy, editor of Stuff Magazine. That's the fun side of all of this, I suppose, yeah. just the techie, gadgety side. I'm, but you're kind of also you kind of in a, in a weird space then yourself, because you kind of realize that the gadgets are going to be used on this in this machine that is at the same time kind of almost a dystopian... A dystopian world. It's true. I mean, I I have to just but, correct but you. I'm afraid I'm 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 the lowly publisher. Craig the publisher, Wilson is the publisher. editor. I uh, I'm nominally the editor in chief. But the, um, the, here's but, the but, thing, but, right? Because they, w w what we're going to talk about now, I'm quite sure, is that the um, advances of technology are pretty amazing. Yeah. And, if, and the, the the drum that's being beaten at the moment is for five G. Now you see, this is what I, well let's talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about the gadgety side of Mobile World Congress, what you saw there is the trends, I saw smarter phones, it was the fold out phone, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. more cameras on phones, that's cool in the gang, so get, give me a sense of that kind sure, of stuff, so but also then we could, I'd like to follow that up with a look at the sort of more network side, what is 5G, what is the internet of things, what is this ubiquitous all connected world, Internet of Things. Where are we going there, and and particularly how it would um, impact on, say, the South African or the subcontinental economy? But let's start with some of the fun gadgets. Yeah, that you yeah. I mean, there were there were some cool toys, and they, and they are and all of that sort of uh, VR. Still. Yeah. The, so actually, the 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 one of the big announcements. So the Sunday before the conference starts is when all the handset manufacturers announced their phones. Uh, Huawei brought out their foldable phone called the Mate X. Um, the uh, Samsung had announced their foldable device, the Galaxy Fold, a few days before that at a separate conference, a separate event in San Francisco. They were trying to rise above the clutter. Uh, the Mate was, was very interesting, very, very interesting. It folds with a screen on the outside. I think the thing that's, that's the most interesting for me is that screens are foldable. Yeah. They're not mass market yet. The the mm. Galaxy Fold is a two thousand dollar. The Mate X is a two and a half thousand dollar. That's a lot of money. That's out of the reach of most people. Give it a couple of years, and it'll come down in cost as, as you know the the, the things increase. But it's it's yeah. very interesting, right? So here's the, the benefit here's of the, the use phone case. is just as a bigger bigger screen. Yeah. So so you have like a I don't know four or five inch screen when it's normal. That's what we used to, and we put it in our pockets, and then. You fold it out and you get a seven-inch tablet, phablet kind of size. Now, I'm definitely a consumer that would use that. Why? Because I consume a lot on my phone. I read on my phone. I read websites. I watch, watch videos. I tweet. I interact a lot. If I had a device that became bigger, that would be very useful. I have an iPad at home that I, I, I'd stopped using but have gone back to using because I read a lot of newspapers online. Mm. Um, and I consume a lot of stuff online and a bigger screen is better. When I travel, 
I watch a lot of stuff on my phone, and, I, and I'm happy to watch it on my phone. I have the iPhone uh, 10s, and I've been testing this unbelievable Huawei Mate 20 Pro, which has incredible, three incredible cameras on the back. I, I have a small son. I've taken some Leica. spectacular yeah, Leica lenses. Yeah. You're a man who knows your glass. Mm. Um, it's a, you know, when you're a photographer, you call your lenses glass in case your Maybe. listeners don't know what they're talking about. Um, and it's, it is I'm a mine of useless information. spectacular. Me too. Me too. I'm good at Trivial Pursuits. I'm sure you are too. <laughs> it's a spectacular camera device and that's what most people still use their phones for they yeah. surf they take they take pictures and it and it's it's interesting because i started my career as a photographer and all of those photography techniques that you needed expertise and skill and a long lens so that the foreground's in focus and the background's out of focus yeah. now you can do that with software depth of field we depth call of it. field yeah and and bokeh I, i'm bokeh you know, so that like blurriness, you can take a picture and then later you can just edit it back because you've got yeah. multiple lenses so you can manipulate the image. And that's that's very useful, I think. Yeah. That's that's great for people. But consuming the data, um, consuming the data on a device, right? So I want to read on my phone. I could fold out a fold yes. foldable. It's early days. Reading becomes much more. Yeah, it's early days, and they're too expensive. But but I'm just I'm like a geek when I look at this technology yeah, and yeah. go, this is a screen that folds. Mm. That's pretty cool. So it's not split. It's one. It's one. It's one device. One the Samsung folds inside. The Huawei folds outside. Cool. Um, that's pretty cool. The other thing that was announced uh, was Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was there, and he announced the um, Hololens two. That's amazing. Nick, this is amazing. So there are two different kinds of setups. One's virtual reality where you put on a set of goggles and mm. you you're in this virtual world and that Oculus Rift kind Oculus of Rift, yeah. uh, HTC Vive. There are mm. a couple of them. A, a you know, a friend of mine has got a very good setup. You need quite a sophisticated setup. You need sensors in the room to position you so it knows where you are, so it can create stuff. Uh, Microsoft does augmented reality AR right. mm. and the HoloLens 2 the first one came out about four years ago and I've tried it and played with it and it's pretty impressive the HoloLens 2 is much lighter it, it tracks your eyes if, you, if you're in this world and you're reading something and you just look down it'll scroll down it uses voice commands it maps your hands so it knows where your hands are so it knows you get a kind of haptic feedback you can feel as if you're touching holograms so tactile kind of it's amazing so the demonstrations that I saw and I tried was one was there's a big thing called a blower and a wastewater treatment. It needs to aerate the water and there's something wrong with the blower and you have to change a part. And of course, you, it just overlays on this big chunk of metal machinery what you do and where you do it. Now, that's really useful. And the other demonstrations are, huh. you know, someone's putting together the cab of a of a of a, a um a sleeper truck and it's quite complicated you've got to put this part if you look at a paper manual it's not the same as wearing this headset that says so you can see the it's world but it has a it has a map over it hmm. now that's very useful you're fixing an air conditioner unit or you're fixing a computer or you're fixing you know they're doing the lifts in this building so you'd be that would be very you're looking at the device in but real it, time and in you're real time. this overlay of information and on that's your screen exactly and that's ah. Microsoft is no longer a Windows company in fact last year they Windows into the cloud division. They're a cloud company. They call themselves Intelligent Compute, Intelligent Cloud, Intelligent Edge, and they don't care what the device on the edge is. It could be an IoT thing. It could be 
the HoloLens. It could be this this Connect device. They've come up with it's a it's a se- also second generation product the original connect was part of the game console where you could play games and use your hands to gesture now uh, right. they use it for a whole Almost bunch like of other Wii things Nintendo Wii kind yeah of thing. yeah so right. instead of the remote in your hand it just watched your hand it yeah, was yeah. and the, the applications are amazing yeah. so those were some of the very very cool stuff that mm-hmm. I saw uh, mm-hmm. Huawei of course under lots of pressure did a real tour de force in terms of showing off their technology mm-hmm. say what you will about the political ramifications their R&D is amazing. Yeah. They spent 15 million... They've come a long 15, way in quite a short time, haven't they? Yes, they spent $15 billion last year in research and development. And some of the stuff that I saw was was pretty impressive yeah. in yeah. terms of, yeah. of their technology. And yeah. I... And and that was one of the big sub-stories of mobile, mobile of MWC Congress. Barcelona. The other big one was 5G. Yes. And that's... This whole that's intelligent connectivity. Exactly. Thing. So what, so so what is 5G? What is that, yeah. It's the fifth generation network. Because we don't even know 4G here, do yeah, we? And, so we, and, we, and, we? and we've been hamstrung from rolling out 4G in South Africa because we haven't converted the old digital... We the, the, the frequency. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the TV signals use analog signals, specifically 700 and 800 megahertz, uh, those are particularly good for for wireless broadband. They 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 penetrate walls better. You could have fewer base stations. It would be a, a real bonus to the cell phone operators. Of course, we now know from the Gupta leaks that Faith Mutambi was giving cabinet ministers to the Guptas, and we think that a lot of that was around getting the contract to build the digital boxes, the, the set top boxes, yeah. the basically the decoders I'm to convert a digital signal. Now into an analog signal for all the TVs. And and that, of course, has been a total disaster. But But the the, the 5G stuff that's interesting is it's not really for us consumers because the next generation of connectivity is not for people, it's for things. And that's why you've heard this phrase, the Internet of Things, IoT. It's really the kind of third time we've heard this. First it was telemetry, then it was machine to machine, now it's Internet of Things. And right now it's SIM cards in cars and fleets telling you where the drivers have been and what they're doing and where they're stopping and how long it takes them to do Mm. their route or or fridges. I don't know why they always use the fridge example. Smart (laughs) fridge tells you when you have no (laughs) orange juice or no milk. I've seen them and and I don't think there's much in it. <laughs> I don't even like orange juice, um, <laughs> and frankly, I, I'd prefer to buy the milk myself. Or, yeah. You know, so th- so those are the examples. But what it will ultimately mean, and when this Internet of Things world really becomes real, there's quite useful stuff that it can do. You know, you can have cameras that monitor traffic in a smart city and tell you which roads are yeah. busy and which aren't, and it you know sensors that will say to you, you know. It seems like there's an earthquake coming. Yeah, or there's there, a fire there, here there's or a, whatever. Yeah, there, yeah, there's useful stuff. We're not there yet, and there's mm. a lot of security concerns around that. I mean, mm. there was a massive denial of distributed denial of service attack at DDoS that happened a few years ago where the, the, the robot slaves that were used for this were a whole bunch of security cameras whose password was password. Um, so, so there are problems with that. What 5G means in terms of data speed is quite impressive. You'll be able to get fiber-like speeds, and fiber will go up to a gigabyte, a giga, 1.3 gigabytes with ease, and you'll get that from wireless spectrum. 
Now that's amazing. Why? Because you don't have to dig up roads to get it. You don't have to have problems with infrastructure to get it. You it's can just upgrade pure wireless fiber. Exactly, and it, and and five G is still a year or two away from the from the standards being ratified. So they, they they're not quite okay. there yet. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of interest in it, and of course, it forms the the the, the basis of of the US or the White Houses. Uh, issues with Huawei about who will own the infrastructure to provide this and whether mm. that will be a, a conduit for espionage. I, I don't really want to get into that kind of stuff, but it is it is a technology revolution in its own right because what we will have is is a wireless uh, internet service as good as a wired internet mm. service with you know with understanding that. You know why it is always more stable because it doesn't suffer from atmospheric conditions, and it, you know if there are lots of people on the net, on the on the cell phone tower, there's a you know there's yeah, the a ratio slow, of yeah, what yeah. you get. Speed, it's still speed pretty difference. impressive, yeah, and the yeah. the data only network rain in South Africa. They've already launched their service, and it's going to be operational soon. They say, and by mid year, when when five G handsets start arriving it's going to be available to people. And that's pretty impressive Jeez, because, yeah. you know, Rain's in a very fortunate position. They, they're backed by celebrity banker Michael Yudan and Paul Harris, the co-founder of, of Rand Merchant Bank that owns FMB and a bunch of other people. But they, they're lucky because they don't offer voice services. They don't have legacy 2 and 3G yeah. services to offer. They don't worry about that. They just provide just data. into the future. Exactly. And they provide pretty good data. How's this, Nick? If you want, uh, they offer a service for uncapped data for 250 rand a month except between prime time. And they define prime time as between 6 and 11 p.m. Get out. And for 250 rand a month, you can get unlimited wireless data. Now, that's pretty awesome. Hmm. So that's impressive. And that's the kinds of things you could that, see. How does that work? They, they set up a little transpond, transmitter they've got receiver a, they've got, in your apartment. Yeah, they've, no, the, so you buy a SIM card and you put it in your phone or you oh, put okay. it in your MiFi. But they have, I think, 3,000 base stations in metropolitan areas, Joburg. Mm. They're not everywhere. They're right. in Joburg, Cape Town, Durban. Yeah. And they've started their and 5G in Joburg and Cape Town. It would be then very much an urban Yeah, kind it's very of an urban solution. But it's, yeah. it's a demonstration of what is possible, yeah. and that's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Toby, when did you first realize you were a geek then? I think that probably happened when I was a teenager. Uh, computers were in their... their nascent ascendancy what, like early my Sinclair kind of yeah I mean my best friend was a was a real computer wonderkind and he ended up working at Microsoft having weekly meetings with Bill Gates and uh, he's a real he's a really bright guy and his father was a computer user so they had a very one of the very first right. Macintoshes yeah I, I had the I had a generation or two later that had like 4.112 so you could run four programs at once. His could only run one. Um, so I got exposed to computer stuff early early on um, and saw how it works. And I, I, my late father loved to tell the story about, I was about eight or so and they got a microwave and they were standing, my mother and father, in the kitchen trying to program the time. And I just walked in and went, oh, I've heard the story a gazillion times. Oh, you've got one of these. And I just programmed it. And eventually I had to say to my father, listen, Dad, like programming the time on a microwave isn't that impressive anymore. But, you know, that was, that was for me, more a demonstration of, of the, 
the way different generations look mm. at technology. My yeah. parents born in 1928. Oh, sure. I mean, this was a revolutionary for them. Having sure. a telephone in your own home was a big deal. You know, my my grandparents. Yeah. I found their I found their um, insurance certificates in a in a pile of papers my mother gave me, and the most expensive thing they insured in their house in 1937 was the refrigerator. Mm. And they insured the refrigerator, I think, for about fifty dollar, fifty pounds a year, and then they insured the telephone. Mm. You know, these were different generations. Mm. I look at this young but those generation. Those are technological advances, aren't they? I mean, huge, those were the most advanced. Huge. The fact that you could of have technology at, in the home at the time. Yeah, my mother was rem- remembering the other night at Shabbos about. Oh, I suppose it's the phone. Yeah, I mean, she was remembering how people used to come past with a horse-drawn carriage with big blocks of ice wrapped in in hay that they would put on the icebox. This is before an electric refrigerator. Sorry, my, my grandparents had an electric refrigerator. I mean, that's cutting edge at that time. Yeah. So th- this is just a reminder of how things happen. So this generation of kids born after 94, the born freeze, I call them the digital born freeze because they've born I- been born into a world where not only do you have a computer in your hand called a smartphone, but you have wireless data. I mean, that wasn't av- available to us. Mm. My, you know, my, I remember getting a, a smartphone. It was an Ericsson, it was an Ericsson P800. And oh. it was so rudimentary, remember? Jeez. You know, that used the stylus. Uh, and, and that was like breakthrough, the Nokia communicator. The Palm Pilot. The pa- I had a Palm Pilot. Oh, my God, the Palm 5. Do you remember how amazing that was? I had a little fold-out keyboard. I used so to go to interviews now. and type up my interviews. Yeah. And, you know, so that's – you look at this generation of kids. I mean, I remember – I was a young reporter. We actually, I now rent offices in the exact building I worked in my first job in journalism for a Caxton knock and drop community newspaper. And, and, you know, when I started as a reporter, you were a photographer or a reporter. The reason I took this job is because you did a little bit of both. Um, You know, back then you couldn't be both because you had to process your film and take notes and now right, yeah. this generation of young reporter they live tweet they twit pick they shoot a little video yeah. they write up a story they do a little video thing i mean it's just a, a generation or two later i mean i a generation's 20 years i've been a journalist just over 20 years mm. look how much has fundamentally changed mm. no one published print newspapers used to papers of record that's the internet now you know and 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 people do multiple things as consumers, people read and consume media from everywhere. You know, Snapchat, the figures have changed slightly, but Snapchat for its first few years had 150 million users where 100 million people, two-thirds of them, were updating their, their what's called user-generated content every single day. So in the media industry, you were competing not against other newspapers but, but against, against cat videos. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was at this, this South by Southwest conference. It's an embarrassing story to tell, but I, I walk past this go. conference and, and there's this, there's like a stage and there's this massive people. I still had a camera. I had a big camera with a big lens and I, I walk past and there's this commotion. So my new sense, my new spidey sense goes, okay, what's going on here? And then some guy comes up on stage and he's holding a cat and the I know where this is going. And I and I shoot a whole bunch of pictures and I zoom in and I take a close up picture of the cat and the cat doesn't look particularly happy with itself. And I turn to the person next to me and I go, like, what's, what's going on here? And they look at me like I'm a total moron and go, duh. 
She really said, duh, it's Grumpy Cat. So then I had to Google <laughs> Grumpy Cat Grum- and go... Grumpy Cat's a famous social media. Cat. And there I was for the first time experiencing Grumpy Cat. I'm like, have you met all cats? Most cats are grumpy cats. They just don't have a, the facial expression. True. And I kind of thought, uh, like, yeah. truly, that is the world we live in. You know, I mean, I, I, and, and, and this yeah. is a good place to end, I suppose, Jeez, because, I mean, Toby, because one, of the things, one of the things I talk about in my talks is, is the state of the world we're in, right? And, and at the end of last year, a truly remarkable thing happened, which was um, – the most liked Instagram post in the world was Kylie Jenner with 18.2 million. It's since gone up. And some, it turned out, it's someone, it turned out to be three advertising people in London, decided this was terrible. So they took a picture of an egg. And the egg now has, or the last time I looked, had 52 million views, likes. And the most liked thing in the world on social media is an egg. Now tell me that isn't some terrible sign about the state of the world that we are in, that the most liked thing in the world is an egg. The egg's name, by the way, is Eugene. <laughs> is an egg, and it's a spoof. But I mean, Toby, let's just, yeah, let's, we, we, we're running out of time. Um, it, it goes back to this sort of, this weird space that you're in. You're a sort of, you're, you're an evangelist, and you're a, what's the opposite of an evangelist? So how do you kind of keep your sanity in this uh, in this world that you well, work and live in? I, I have a sense of context and understand that the world isn't in a smartphone. I do, every weekend I do what I call digital detox or digital Shabbos. And I just kind of start ignoring my phone. I use my phone to take pictures of my kid, as any you know parent does. But I don't really check Twitter or Instagram. or you know, I read a few articles mm. here and there and tweet them, but... I, and, I, and I read the papers on Sunday on a digital device as opposed to paper. But that's about it. I don't do all the other things I do. And I'm, for most of Saturday, I won't even look at my phone. And that gives you a real break with things. And, and, and once I started doing that, a cousin of mine who became religious, we had our bar mitzvahs together, became religious and told me the story about Shabbos. And he said to me, just think about it, like 25 hours where you don't, look at TV or check your mail or and you just spend your time with people and I like that. Mm. So that's one of the things that I do and the other is just to have a sense of context, right? Like I deleted Facebook. It wasn't working for me anymore. Um, irrespective of my points of view about Facebook as a company and the, you know, the modern day digital slavery that we find ourselves in. I, but the point of departure for me is that it didn't work for me mm. and it was a 350 meg download. I was very mm. pragmatic. I I deleted it for that reason, and then all the other benefits started accruing. And I and I very seldomly look at any social media stuff apart from Twitter, and probably Twitter, maybe once or twice a day at very specific, specific times. I'm I've tried to practice some of these digital techniques where you, for the first hour of the day, you don't read your mail and you don't do whatever, and you use that that golden hour of concentration well actually i spend that time with my son and, and that's really fantastic mm. and 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 i've been saying for years and years and years when you're with people be with people you know don't don't get drawn into the device and also just remember uh the hierarchy of of needs you know i mean i i, I joke that that maslow's 
hierarchy has been with, redrawn because of technology and mobile phones where, you know, you don't need shelter anymore. You just need Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> good but, battery life. And good battery life. But just remember, it's all about people. You know, when you're lying on your deathbed, um, to paraphrase um, Stephen Covey, how many of us are going to go, I wish I spent more time at the office or I wish I spent more time liking pictures on Instagram? You know, just remember that life is about people. And the more time you can spend with people, like spend it with people and spend it with your people. You know, be, don't be online with a bunch of strangers. Be in the real world, world with the people you love. Thanks, Toby. Blessings. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for your time. A great interview. Thank you. Came out of that uh, discussion, that chat with Toby, quite paranoid. I mean, I thought I was fairly up on my online security, but I need to, I think, revisit that, and um, I suggest you do as well. Um, there are lots of options and solutions out there, so please yeah, take care. Take care of yourselves. And remember, as Toby said, you know, speak to real people, hang out with your friends, don't get too down a rabbit hole online. Um, and uh, still trying to have some fun. I still think I'm sort of toying with where I stand on technology these days. And on the one hand, I'm pretty sure it's going to take some amazing technological developments, inventions to solve the issues around food, energy, water uh, that we're facing as a as the human race on this planet. Um, and at the same time, technology seems to be one of the greatest threats to our democracies, our societies, on on uh, on our efforts to build a a society that that looks after and is able to care for all its citizens um, and in a sustainable and you know, fair way, I suppose. The latest edition of Stuff Magazine is out. It's uh, The cover story is 100 Best Apps, uh, quite fun. Toby also has a podcast out. It's called The Toby Shapshack Show. He's been a little bit remiss in his downloading of uh, episodes, but he has promised, he, well, he said to me he's going to try and Get on to that, so, so keep a lookout for that. Fascinating stuff, I'm sure, in the pipeline. Voices from SA is hosted on Audio Boom. You can also subscribe to Voices from SA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your colleagues, tell your friends, tell the world. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Claude. Cheers.